No more clickbait, no more sound bites, and no more videos that are over before you blink. No more being told to click this or to share that because some people think you can't think. Choose a new way of doing things. Choose real people. Choose real stories. Choose the Real Talks podcast. Now in her 23rd season at the top level, it was a real honour and privilege for me to sit down with Cora Staunton for the latest episode of the Real Talks podcast. Having made her debut for the Mayo Senior Team at just 13 years of age, Cora has gone on to win four All-Irelands, 10 All-Stars and become a household name due to her incredible longevity, mesmerising talent and amazing ability to consistently get huge scores on the pitch. Over the course of the hour, Cora talked openly and honestly about what it's like to be seen as the face of ladies football, how sport has changed her life for the better, the impact the death of her mother had during her teenage years and why, after all this time, she keeps coming back for more. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or Soundcloud. We've already had over 24,000 plays and been listened to in more than 60 countries. For any iTunes listeners, I'd really love if you could review the podcast as it helps to keep us at the top of the charts and help spread the word about the show and what we're all about. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of Kelly Bradshaw Dalton, who for over 20 years have been selling, renting and managing property in the greater Dublin area. Be sure to check out their website at kbd.ie. That's kbd.ie. My name is Alan O'Mara and you are listening to episode 9 of the Real Talks podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you as part of the podcast series. I know you said you've been listening to a few of the different episodes and we've just had really different personalities, different stories, different journeys. And I suppose everyone's just been sharing different life lessons that people have, have found really beneficial. So I'm absolutely delighted to, to be sitting down to have this conversation with you. You've had an amazing career to date and I think journey's probably the right word. Um, with lots of, lots of peaks and troughs and everything in between. And I'm just looking forward to having that conversation with you. Starting off, I was just going to, was going to jump straight through and obviously... You're going into your 23rd season at the moment as an intercounty player. I suppose it's just an incredible stat, something that I look at and I just think, wow. I think most people that do look at that number think it. And I think just the first question that was on my mind was, what lured you back in to go again? Why keep going? Uh, I suppose a lot of people have asked me that. I suppose I thought long and hard this year, more so than any year about it. I suppose the older you're getting, I'm 35 now, um, you have to kind of think long and hard about it. Um, I've always said to myself from a young age, I suppose, if I'm enjoying it and I'm f- fit enough and still able to play at the top of my game, then I'll continue to play. Um, I felt them factors, I still was enjoying it. Um, fit enough probably was, a couple of niggles, and I still feel I'm, I'm you know, at the top of my game. Um, so I kind of sat down, um, maybe took a month or so off after the club. We lost the All-Ireland semi-final at the end of November and it took a couple of weeks off over the December period and then kind of thought about it with a couple of my close friends on the team um, to see would we give it another year. I suppose we were very close last year, losing to Dublin in the, in the semi-final. Mm. Um, so with all them factors and I suppose meeting a few people along the way, maybe over the Christmas period, um, I remember especially meeting the likes of Andy Moran um, was one person that hit home and he said sure why would you retire he said you know um, you're still well able to play it'll be long enough that you'll mm. be retired and I kind of heard that from a few more people um, and I suppose with, with, with 
thinking would I be able to have time with, with work, working two jobs and doing everything I said sure why not give it another go um, so yeah once we did kind of the decision made we, we went back straight into it you know people said oh maybe go back in April or May um, but I suppose once you're, you want I'd be the type of person I want to get back into it straight away um, um, and you know if I, if I think if I left it till April or May I probably wouldn't have gone back so yeah I kind of went back the week before the league then um, and yeah back at it um, for the last couple of months so enjoying it anyways at the moment yeah training obviously hard but enjoying every minute for it at the moment Like I think for that Christmas period in particular I think most GA players will relate to that when it's will I won't I should I shouldn't I the Christmas just gone was that it's a period of time where you've deliberated the most maybe yeah I suppose obviously yeah it definitely has been the most time that you've deliberated the most definitely the most time I've probably sat in the fence other years you'd be, you'd be deliberating about it but you'd be kind of maybe 70, 30 saying I know I'll go back but this time was it was it was definitely 50-50 or if it was probably a little bit on the side of 60-40 uh, that I won't go back Um so yeah, you have to give, obviously after losing in the club in the semi-final, you have to give yourself a mental break away from it all. Obviously mm. it's a bit disappointment of that. Um, and then kind of just to try and switch off. It's very hard to try and switch off from it. Um, you still always keep yourself ticking over um, during that period going for the odd you know, run or whatever. Keep yourself in relatively good enough shape. Um, and then I suppose it was when January came, um, management didn't put a huge pressure on us, but they still wanted a decision. I suppose the media were putting a bit of pressure on me. I met them at one or two events and I kind of said to them, oh yeah, I'll have a decision soon, but even though I hadn't a decision made and I suppose it was just to make a decision before the start of the league, it, it was probably to give the team time to move on. You're either back or you're not. Mm, just um, clear up the uncertainty yeah, on it. Exactly, clear up the uncertainty and it's not fair on the rest of the team. So I suppose I met with Yvonne, um, Byrne and Marth Carter, the, kind of, the two older girls that I've been around with for a while. And we kind of decided together what we wanted to do. There was pros and cons to each of us, and I suppose then we kind of said, you know what, we'll just we'll give it another go. Um, and yeah, that's what we've done. And we've had a mixed league since then. Um, but you know, you'll have that. Um, but you know, we're all back playing and 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 playing well enough and and fit enough at the moment. So yeah, we're happy with that. I'm going to park this year for now, and we will. I think we'll come full circle and take it back to it. But I suppose jumping back to the beginning, and you're probably sick of being asked this question. But even as, as I was reading up, and it was one of the things I heard about before was being called into the Mayo senior team at 13 years of age. Uh, it was something I just was like, what? Like, how does that happen? Um, I'm just curious, just for you to explain that a little bit and what your memory of of that is now yeah uh, I suppose my memory is quite good because that's um, part of my work with Sky Sports and the Living for Sports programme you're telling your story probably two or three times a week so it, it becomes nearly um, that you can tell it off straight away what I remember of it as a 13 year old um, I was in first year in school at the time I'm in Ballinrobe Community School um, and I had went to Ballinrobe Community School different school to my um older brothers and sisters I went to Ballinrobe because I wanted to play football so my parents eventually let me go there um, where my other five older brothers and sisters would have gone to a different one um, and solely that was based on a Gaelic football decision no other decision So, so even at that young age you were yeah, fighting for uh, that's yeah, where I'm going to play football Exactly yeah because I would have had um, a, a fail All-Ireland one with my club Carnacun at the time and we'd have got to an All-Ireland final in community games and Mosney was Mosney at the time as well. So I suppose I'd been in two All-Irelands before that one, one, last one. Um, so when we got um, to, to, to secondary school, went there based on football because they had a very good team. So went into first year and made the junior school team and the senior school team. Right. Um, and won All-Ireland and A, All-Ireland in both. Um, so I suppose it was from there that I was probably called into the senior team on the base of that. Um, and I suppose at 13, just kind of went in 
wasn't really more so a trial it was just asked to go in for training mm. and from then it kind of just went from there it was the National League of that year that I played National League back then used to happen used to have a few games before Christmas and you play the rest of it after Christmas there was a break and then you start again in February so I played the first two couple of National League games I think the first game I can remember was against Monaghan um, that I played um, and that was really it um, I was a very small youngster didn't probably grow till I was about 16 so I was small with short blonde hair running on the pitch um, but it wasn't very uncommon to have girls that young on the team at the time there was probably a few, few girls maybe at the age of 15 or 16 okay. on, the, on the field at the time but then there was girls obviously in their late 20s early 30s mm. as well that you'd be playing against but I suppose um, ladies football while it, it's a non-contact sport it, it it isn't as physical as the men's it's probably got more physical over time um, I had a bit of speed so it probably helped and my skills were quite good but that's coming from a basis I started playing football at the age of 7 I, I played up up to till probably around the age of 13 with the boys Okay. Team. so I, I was well my skills were well honed at that time mm. um, and was doing very well on our, on our Ballantrober boys team playing with the likes of Alan Dillon um, so it, it probably came from that that my skills were probably a bit more bit of a higher level than some mm, other been girls. Developed. Yeah, being developed quicker because of playing with the boys for okay. the good six years. Yeah, so two questions on the on the thirteen year old thing. One, what was it like just even to get the call at that stage? Because I think like I'm trying to think if like if I was thirteen you got a call to go and train with probably a team you've been looking up to or players that you absolutely would have looked up to. Um, what was it like just to one find out about that? Yeah, it was it was it was kind of a bit surreal. I'd have been playing on underage teams at Mayo at the time, so I was still on an under fourteen county team at the time, and I'd been on under sixteen and minor teams. Um, so yeah, it was a bit surreal, but like I didn't really take much notice of because I was playing with, with our club at the time, and which was a junior team. You know, we were junior, then we didn't go up to the senior for a few years later. Um, and I was playing against girls that that you know bigger than me all the time, and you know girls that I'd have been playing against them on a club level county girls so yeah I probably was a bit daunting obviously if you look back but um, there was girls again my age around me so and you know you, you were starting on the team and you were doing well so uh, maybe the first few training sessions were a bit daunting but I suppose you know as a young one you've no fear and you just go out, go out and play and play the game as best you can um, you'd probably take a few belts but you, you'll, you'll get it back up again you know so well, it was probably daunting at the time but something I obviously relished and you know, I was on the back of probably winning two school All-Irelands and, as I said, winning an All-Ireland failure with our club as well. Mm. So, you know, it, it didn't really phase me that much. Yeah, and the second question I was going to ask is around those, say, those first few games playing playing at that level, Does what what's it like to be in that mixer? Because obviously you've touched upon the physicality stuff there. So I'm just curious, does that make you sort of focus on the other strengths that you have to... To, to make your way on the pitch do, do you think that added to your development being, yeah. being thrown in there yeah big time I suppose I had to rely on, on my speed um, and I was very small and, and not physical at all um, so yeah I had to rely on my speed and, and your basic skills um, that you know that I had developed through playing with the boys but also I could do them skills probably at, at a higher temper or a higher pay, pace than some of, some of the people that you'd be marking at so yeah they definitely helped but yeah it, it helped me develop things that maybe that you're, you don't think about developing but things like dummies and stuff like that mm. they just naturally happen and naturally progress so yeah they were, they were beneficial when you look back now they probably were beneficial when you, when you, got, when you physically got bigger and stronger and started to grow um, but yeah you just have to be probably clever and obviously your teammates protect you as well um, I, was just, you know, I was going to ask you about that obviously you looked after being, being thrown in you know, um, there was a club mate of mine that was playing as well. That was, you know, thirteen or fourteen at the time as well. So, do you know, you have, you have that, and it wasn't that. You know, as I said, ladies' football, 
um, is a young is a young person's game. Um, you know, you have girls now; they're making county teams. Okay, you have to be over the age of out of the grade of under sixteen now okay. to be on a senior team. But there's plenty of seventeen and eighteen mm-hmm. or girls making county teams even now. I suppose the level level of physical development between between male and female is, is quite different. Mm-hmm. So there isn't a huge huge gap. Okay, so staying with that that trajectory. I've been involved in the Mayo Seniors team. You're obviously you, you get a flavour of of an All Ireland final after 99 or in, in 1999, mm. um, building up to I'd imagine a day and a moment. You probably thought about a lot growing up, and I suppose you're you're taking off after 30 seconds in, in a prearranged move. Yeah. And I just was just going to ask you sort of what your memory of that day is like now when you look back. Yeah, I suppose it was obviously this. It was a strange, strange decision to mm-hmm. put me on for a thirty. It was actually about thirty seconds or more. Um, at the time, it was strange looking back now. Um, why do you think? Sorry, for anyone listening that's yeah. not sure on that on yeah. that day, why do you think that decision was made, or, uh, or well, what was the rationale behind it? Oh, well, I suppose the rationale, but was behind it that you know I'd been playing football for quite a few years mm-hmm. at that stage and. A pro- probably been you know a, a big player within the team and I suppose it was the manager's way of rewarding me for being there okay. while we had a big panel at the time we weren't a strong panel mm. we had a lot of really young people on okay. the pitch on, on the panel 14, 15 year olds they were never going to get on the pitch that day we were probably only ever going to use two or three subs mm. max so they didn't see it as a waste of a sub um, I suppose Finbar Egan our manager at the time talked to the Waterford manager Michael Ryan and just felt it w- maybe it was a token gesture I suppose on the back of that as well I had been after going through a terrible year the year before I'd lost my mother mm-hmm. kind of 12 months previous to the All-Ireland final so maybe it was a token for, for the, the maybe the tough year I had bef- um, the year previous um, and it pr- would probably have stopped playing football for a couple of weeks after my mother died sure. um, you know just found everything all really hard going and, and kind of fell out of love with the sport for, mm. for a short period of time after that happened so I suppose maybe it was to do with all that it was you know maybe a bit of sentiment in it as well um, yeah looking back now it's, it was a crazy decision maybe at the time <laughs> it didn't look as a crazy decision but we probably yeah. didn't have the panel of players that were going to use five subs on f- subs in the day I'd say that was Fimber's rationale behind it Take, Taking all that into account was, what what's your overriding feeling or emotions around that day would it be positive or negative in that you're in the all and finally you don't get to play or that you're, that you're still that the group is there is it a, is it a bit of both? Yeah I suppose I suppose it's a bit of both I suppose um, obviously the day that it happened and the two two or th- two or three days after the injury had happened you know And this was, this, it was a collarbone yeah, wasn't it? Yeah I broke it? my collarbone The week before yeah, the, the game week is that before, right? The Sunday before yeah. the All-Ireland we were having an A versus B game and, and um, I, I got a belt and, and a new straight was broken Um I suppose it was difficult, and um, the week, the few days after, was very difficult because I can only imagine. Yeah, I, sp- I suppose you, you, my my life had kind of been in turmoil for the twelve months previous, and you know hadn't been in a good place for a couple of months after my mother died, and then things were coming back right. I got back involved in football and was loving it, mm. and I suppose didn't get the biggest day in, in your career, and you think maybe it might only happen once to be injured. I suppose for the day or two after it, um, you know I was barely able to speak to anyone I suppose the only one I spoke to I'd say in the two days after was our manager Fimber but then he suddenly made me realise that you know it's not, it's not about you we've, we've an mm. All-Ireland win and you need to go to train as positively as you can on that Wednesday so you know I had to on that Wednesday while I was probably absolutely devastated inside had to win with a really positive mentality you know we are going into that final as massive underdogs um, before I got injured and mm-hmm. even after I got injured it was even a bigger task and I suppose to be positive for them I suppose then from the Wednesday right up to the Sunday that's what I had to be um, yeah obviously being on the sideline would be certainly a, a 
brutal person behind side like can't watch match wanted to play so it was very difficult for the 60 minutes obviously when we won the All-Ireland and it was very tight we won by a point it was massive the week after it was massive but yeah I probably deep down didn't feel I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve so I suppose for the next the next kind of eight nine months worked really hard to along with the rest of the girls myself personally to get in, in really good shape to get back to the All-Ireland and, and I suppose we're lucky enough we went back that year the following year in 2001 it, and you know probably you look back and say oh you missed out in an All-Ireland final but you know you were very much part of it I was reading Gooch's was asked was it yesterday or the day before you know do you count yourself in sure I've seen that yeah. you know, of course he does he's, mm-hmm. he's a part of a team you know, everyone that's there on the day has put in as much work as everyone else over the year. So, yeah, while it was disappointing, it was very hard as a 17-year-old to take. It moves on, and all these life events probably has made me stronger. My mother's death, injury, whatever happens, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll have that. And it makes you a better footballer, more determined. Things don't come easy to you. You have to work hard for them. Yeah, that, that disappointment, I think, because even though you've been on the team for a couple of years, like, I think it is important to remember you're still an incredibly young woman, you know, yeah. um, and to sort of to, to deal with all that and, and probably to digest it in the right yeah. way. And I'm sure you had a few days where yeah. you were grinding the teeth and yeah. you, you, you might have been a bit thick, but you do get to come back the following year yeah. and to play an all-iron final, yeah. scoring 2-2 against yeah. Waterford. And I suppose... Does that does that day in particular stick out with you as a as, as a real positive? Is that one you look back at fondly? Yeah, I do. Obviously, you you you've been dying to get to play in Crow Park. That's the biggest thing when I was growing up. I don't know if it was to win all Ireland playing Crow Park. I used to watch the Mayo Min on telly the few years previous. Obviously, losing finals in ninety six, ninety seven. Um, and I used to absolutely idolise Morris Fitzgerald wanting to try and do everything he was Was he doing. the hero? He was the hero growing up, yeah. So I suppose not to get out on the field, but we had got, um, luckily enough that year in 2000, we got to play our semi-final um, against Tyrone um, in, in Crow Park. Oh, brilliant. That year. So kind of that had taken the nerves away of going into an All-Ireland final. Okay. I got a chance to play in Crow Park, which was brilliant. So yeah, obviously, you know, that washed away a lot of bad memories from, from the previous two years. But like, it's a, it's another final and, you know, obviously you're going out to win and, you know, as in, as an 18-year-old at the time winning your second All-Ireland, you know, a lot of these things as a younger person goes over your head. You look back yeah. now fondly and you have great memories from it, but probably you probably didn't enjoy it as much because you think it's going to happen year in, year mm-hmm. out. While it did for the next few years, it, it hasn't happened, you know, in the last... For, for us, we haven't been in... Well, we have been in a final, but we haven't won a final mm-hmm. in the last 14 years. So, do you know, it, it happened in a, in a brief spell for us. And now you look back now and go, geez, I wished I, were, I, I, I enjoyed it even more, which we did. We enjoyed it as the best we can. But to take everything in as a nation, you're, you're carefree. Sure. You know, I think as you're older, you, you, you want to grab them moments and really keep them. I suppose we, when we, we opened up sort of with that decision you had in your own mind at the start of the year and in your own in your own brain at that stage, is part of your rationale thinking, well, like, I've ha- I have my four All-Irelands and the last of those came in 2003. Does does any part of you think, oh, like, you know, I've done my bit and I, I'll walk away from this or is there sort of, I want that, I want number five. Is, is the number five thing anything in your head at all? Yeah, obviously, yeah, of course it is. It's to get back, and Crow, to get back to Crow Park and All-Ireland final day. That's obviously mm-hmm. the, the main goal. Um, I also, like, probably two or three years ago, it might have been a time to say, you know, as I said, I was enjoying it, but it might be time to say, you know, maybe walk away now. But we're trying to leave Mayo football in a healthy state because when we go, it won't be just one of us that'll go or two of us. Sure. It's probably going to be a core yeah, of us going. A leadership vacuum yeah, there. Yeah, and that, that'll be cut off straight away. So we're trying to mm. um, instill this in, into the younger members of our team maybe now um, and guide them in the right way. Um, and we were lucky enough, we've been very uh, continuity manager the last three years. We have the same management group for the last three years, which is good. 
um, and, it, and it, it builds a lot in a team and it builds team character you get to know each other a lot better so I suppose it's from that point of view obviously you're playing you're not playing for any other reason yeah, to win a Connacht title and to get to Crow Park on All-Ireland final day and hopefully win All-Ireland. That's every footballer's dream, whether it's male or female. Um, so, yeah, that's what, that's ultimately why I'm playing. But, you know, if you look at other reasons, um, obviously playing to make Mayo, put it in a better place, maybe put it in a very stable place because it hasn't been there all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and if that if that's achieved um, when I leave, you know, and Mayo football go on and win All-Ireland when I'm not playing, I'll be delighted because we know we'll have probably nurtured some of these, these younger girls that are playing now through so okay. that, you know, that, that's probably the second reason behind it and to, actually going back to that the conversation you made, or the comments you said Andy Moore and said to you that you know the body's still yeah. well able for it I suppose well able for it's probably a bit of an understatement when I looked it up and you scored 5-15 in a county final last year <laughs> the question I have on that one is genuinely how is that even possible <laughs> uh, I suppose uh, we're lucky enough our club is, is very very strong and has been you know um for the last nearly two decades, I think um, since 1998 um, to now, we've lost one county title. So I, th- I think we won county title number 18 last year, um, which is huge. Um, but that's down solely to the development of our club, to a certain number of individuals in the club that has kept it going. Now, that won't ha- last for too much longer because there's a core group. Of yeah, us, it's cyclical as well. Yeah, yeah that are, are around the same age and been around a long time. There'll be probably the guts of maybe six or seven of us that's one has won the mating county titles, which is huge. Um but also when you look at it, we've eleven girls at the moment on the on the county panel mm-hmm. this year. So that's obviously beneficial to our club that we're training at a very high level. Um but you know, going back to how you score them them amounts of matches, I suppose are over the last few years the competition in Mayo hasn't been very strong. Um and I suppose that's my job. I'm, I'm a scoring forward, and you know sometimes you, you you rack up. I just go out and play and take as many shots as you can in a match. And some will go over. Some days you'll score a lot. Other days you won't. Um, but you know that's football. You know some days you're double marked, triple marked, and you know you enjoy the day when you're only being singly marked. Yeah. You'll have that. Um, yeah, mad scores and people love commenting on mad scores. But you know, there's people that are doing plenty of other work um, out the field that maybe don't take the shots. I suppose it's you know it's years of kind of that they're used to maybe getting the ball to me yeah. and, and being the main scoring for both the club and county um, and I suppose that's that's where I'm renowned for and you know I suppose I've a lot of time a shoot on side policy and obviously I've been free taker as well that you know it's going to bring up your scoring average on, on any given day yeah I was always a forward I probably yeah, wanted you know to be getting the ball and scoring a goal Um I suppose you know, as I said, during during time, life will hit. You'll hit many road bumps. You'll have, you'll have different problems, whether it's injury or death or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I suppose I honestly think the likes of them things make even more driven. Um, I was, you know, you're lucky enough to have a talent, but like you can have a talent and not work on it. Um, but I'd be like that uh, training in any aspect I'm doing. I'm very, very, very competitive. I don't like losing. And I suppose you always want to try and be your best, whether your best is good enough or not. Um, you know, I suppose it's just that's the way it is. Yeah, I'd be very driven as a person within general in sport. Um, um, and that's football for you. But I do think it, it comes. I think we have a culture within our club that makes all most majority of our players are like that. If you mm. met most of our club players, they're quite stubborn and very driven and don't like losing so <laughs> a good, a good yeah, attribute to yeah, have exactly, yeah. um, you mentioned you mentioned death there and I know you, you touched upon your mom earlier on and I was hoping if it was okay to actually to ask yeah. you about that because I know 
it's something that you talk to the students about as well. Yeah. I read mm-hmm. that yeah. um, around bereavement and yeah. I suppose the effect that had on both you and on, on your sporting life. Yeah. And it was okay just to, ex- to explore that for a minute and yeah. what that was like from your perspective at a young age. Yeah, I suppose it was very difficult. Um, I suppose my mom would have died when I was 16, so um, she'd have been diagnosed with cancer when I was in first year in school. Um, and that was a very difficult period in life as well. You know, I moved from a national school of probably around 90 kids at the time to a community school in Bannerope that had roughly around 800. So big transition. Big transition and struggled in first year to make friends and all I had was football and football was a constant thing right throughout school, which was brilliant. Um, so I, towards into first year, um, moving into second year, mom would have been diagnosed with cancer. So she, she'd have had it for possibly about three-ish years. Um, so yeah, it was a very difficult period of time, and at the time, services within the West wouldn't have been there. So she'd have been going to Dublin quite a okay. lot for treatment, and maybe six weeks at a time up there. And it wasn't as easy as it is now to get to Dublin. So we mm, might see her once, once in that six-week period, um, because I'm from a big family. There's eight of us, um, and I'm the second youngest. So the youngest and second youngest, and maybe the third, weren't really told much, and okay. weren't allowed to go as much places as the older people, older ones in my family. Um, so yeah, then in transitioner, I'd have taken transitioner in school um, to kind of to do it, but I didn't really do it because my mother had been very ill at that time, mm-hmm. and my, all my sisters would have been away from the house that had been in college. So I was the only girl at okay. at the time. So I spent a lot of transitioner kind of staying at home, minding mom when she wasn't in hospital. Mm-hmm. Now and she'd have died then when I was kind of um, just finished transitioner in, in the July of transitioner. I'd have finished school. Um, so from that, as I said earlier on. You know, that was very difficult for, for the next couple of months was very difficult and probably fell out a bit of love with sport was angry I thought I was angry at sport because sure. I'd been away from the house a lot I was playing a huge amount of football at the time under 14, 16 minor and senior at Mayo the same at club and then I was obviously playing school football and you know throwing a bit of basketball and soccer as well with school and with clubs um, so I was whether I was angry with sport or not I was just angry in general mm. so kind of fell out a bit of a love with it and it was not really going and obviously good people within my life coaches my club coaches um, Beatrice and Jimmy and then obviously our county coach at the time Fimber um, would have all tried to get me back to football pretty quick um, so I used to go an odd time and like it and then not really like it, but eventually went back into it um, so that was tr- tr- towards the kind of the end of 98 that went back into it um, and then from 99 was the year that mm-hmm. we got to our first All-Ireland um, so football has been a great distraction obviously you know looking back you're thinking oh I was angry at football burned all through that time football was a great distraction um, quite difficult obviously to deal with uh, uh, obviously being in school um, and you know obviously being in ho- home life but um, for the whole family football is a huge distraction mm. you know we were we went on a journey for the next five years and you know while none of my brothers and sisters play sport now and played only a bit when they were younger the whole family probably went on a journey from 99 to 2004 okay. and even now we're you know still on a journey they come to all my matches and so you know what it was probably a great distraction f- from them so yeah it was difficult obviously as a teenager growing up it's only when you actually sit back and look back at you know, at the time, I'm not thinking like that. Now I'm looking at it as a great journey um, and I'm looking back why I maybe stopped for a little while. But you, you totally understand. And I suppose when I'm relating to, to this to, to teenagers in school, I'm always very conscious that I'm in, in whatever school I am, that there could be a teenager going through the exact same process that I went through at the time. Um, but I, as I say again, 
without football, I think I'd have been in a lot worse place if I didn't have it because of the the caring people, the caring coaches, and obviously teammates. Mm. Um, you know, throughout throughout secondary school, it was difficult enough to make friends. All your friends were in sport, and <coughs> even me. nowadays, all my friends, majority of my friends are from either college or sport because mm. you spend so much time with them. Um, but yeah, we were unfortunate enough then a couple of years after my mother died to lose one of our club mates in a car accident. Okay. Um, so that that again hit home. Ashley and McGing, so her two sisters play with us now and still play with County and Club, would have been part of the panel um, in 2003, but have got dropped. We used to cut panels maybe around May after the league and um, a couple of weeks after she'd have been dropped from the panel, we'd have played in a Connacht, I think it was semi-final or final, and on the way to the match she'd have been killed. So, you know, that again, that's probably made our club a lot closer and you're probably on about that culture and okay. driven. Um, that's probably another aspect that's made us, you know, really, really tight and, I, you know, really, you know, work for each other and, you know, being there for each other at the time. So I suppose there's there are two experiences of death that you that we've went through that most people mightn't go through throughout their football career. But loads, you know, I'm conscious that there will be people that go through. I suppose them type of things make you driven. Um, you know, you can think to yourself, oh, my life is hard, but you always look at someone can be harder. Um, and also, I suppose when I'm looking back now. Definitely, all these kind of road bumps that happened along the way has made me um, use my talent to the max. It's you know I could have been lazy and said oh, I've won this or sure it's easy to give up now or you know fights against county board or pulling out your championship whatever it is you know they're all easy things to deal with when you've dealt with whatever what I've dealt with before. Mm-hmm. So um, I suppose yeah that's probably one another reason that's definitely made me the person and, and probably driven and probably still make me play. Um, to, to to the point that I'm 35 and why am I still playing? It's probably make me do that because I want to get the every last drop out of what talent that I have. Yeah, the reason the reason that I asked the question around bereavement is because like I know you're you've, you're involved in schools in terms of the Sky Sports program and through my own work at Real Talks, I I'm in school groups quite a bit, yeah. particularly secondary schools, and one of the things that always jumps out at me is I'll do certain. We'll, we'll touch upon certain topics and basically try and break down a, a wall of stigma and yeah. create a space where, where young people can talk and the thing I always the thing I found most interesting at the beginning was th- there's two things in particular that really affect young people and one is is the, re- the, the end of sort of a, the first love or the first real yeah. relationship and but the second one is always that bereavement piece and I suppose I was listening to you talking then and, and you mentioned about you were left being the only girl at home and sort of and caring and, and, and having to deal probably with a lot of responsibility at a young age if you could sort of, if you could go back and, and whisper a piece of advice in your younger self's ear at that point, is there something that jumps out, or is there something that you would you would like to say? Uh, it's very difficult, I suppose. Like if I was looking back at now, um, I think it's having really caring people and supportive people around you. Like while you mightn't, you mightn't be as good, you know, you mightn't take it all in at then, you know, back then. But only for I had them people, like mm. I. Honestly, if I didn't have them people in my life, I'd have struggled so much more. Like I'd, you know, I'd go back to my club coaches, but I'm very close to them. Beatrice, Casey, and Jimmy Corbett, both of them, they've been my coaches now since I was ten, and they're still involved with the, in our senior club team now. If I didn't have people like that to keep me, in any way, sane and bring me out and maybe get out of the home environment for a while and say no, sure. you need to break away, I I could have been a lot worse than I am now. Um, so it's to have people like that. It's to have people that again and maybe have friends that are there for you um, maybe when you're not in the best form and can take you in whatever mood you are at the time um, and again I was lucky enough I went to a very good school I had very understanding teachers a very understanding vice principal at the time 
um, that kind of looked out for you and watched out for you and maybe didn't give you the grief that, that you needed at the time, whether it's to do with school or whatever. So it, it'll be to look out for that, that you have enough care and people there that, that watch out for you all the time. Um, because it is difficult, bereavement's difficult, everyone deals with it in different ways. And it's only, as I said, that you get time to sit down. Um, my mother will be, yeah, the guts of 19 years dead now but it's only when I look back now it's not in the time it's not in the two or three years afterwards um, it's when I look back and say to myself you know that's what really helped me um, but at the time you're in turmoil and of course yeah the only constant I keep saying the only constant that I had right throughout that was sport if I didn't have that I could see me going down many alleyway and sure. it wouldn't be too good you know so you could have gone anywhere your life could have led you anywhere else but that kept kept you and pulled you into line Um which you needed it and 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 majority of the people within within the team would look after you in management or whoever it is i know there's there's a couple of girls that are on our team you know i'm not the only one that has lost a parent or you know there's been girls mm-hmm. in the team that have and we're there to support each other um and you know death is a thing that we'll all go through or, and lose someone so it's just being able to cope with it and having the coping skills to deal with it um and i suppose right throughout life sports kept me grounded that i have them, them them skills to deal with it and you know anything that's thrown at me now can deal with it uh, it's easy to deal with no i think that's it's an incredibly important point you make and i suppose it's it's resilience really is, is what is what you're talking about and it's sort of it's a thing that's popped up across previous episodes and particular yeah. kevin McMenamin talked about it as well and that I suppose resilience is a skill. It's not something you're just born with and it's a set yeah. amount. And sometimes you do have to go through difficult times to build that and to grow that. And that, that idea you said there around surround yourself with good people, I think, is, is incredibly important. And it's maybe something that we're all, we don't appreciate at the time. And it's just as I was listening to you talking there, part of your, your drive, your love and your passion to keep playing and still playing is a little part of that because of that you've, you've felt so much good at an earlier age and you, you've, you, you've felt the, the, the strong and the good side of GA. Yeah, I suppose um, you know people always ask me this. Why are you still playing? I was asked this or oh, uh, doing uh, a bit of work for Elvries last week. Like, wh- how? Why are you still playing? Like, and sport. Like I keep saying, it, sport is a drug. It's, you know, it's very very difficult. I'm doing this now uh, at, at a senior level for 23 years, but I've been playing sport probably for the last 28 years. It's very difficult to walk away. And I suppose that will be a concern when you when it goes. Um, what are you going to replace? Filling that void. Yeah, filling that void. Of course it is. Um, you're you're getting out training four or five times a week, and you're meeting the same people. You know, while you give out about training and the physical work, and you'll give out about having to go here. It's it's in our nature. We moan. Uh, of course, we're going to give out. <laughs> Some of us more yeah, than others. Exactly. We're going to give out, but we really, you know, really enjoy it. You're meeting the same people four or five times a week. You know. The crack that you have, the banter that you have, whatever it is, you know, when you go to training, it's there every night. So I think like if you're maybe in bad form, you know, on any given day for, for whatever reason, you go to a training session, whether it's a club or a counter training session or to a match, majority of the time you'll come home from that training session in a better mood, mm. which is a huge thing. Absolutely. Um, if that's probably the one thing, you know that I'd be worried about when I finish, that you don't have that. So if, if your form isn't great on any given day, then what have you to... It's a release. It's a release mm-hmm. from work. It's a release from life. It's a release from everything else. Um, so it's, you know, it's huge. I know no difference. It's, you know, I, have, I, you know, I, I haven't done anything else in my life. Bar play sport and be there all the time. So, um, yeah, it's, it's probably a scary route. And, you know, you read a lot of people, professional sports people that, you know, leave their sports and it can be a very difficult route for them sure. to fill the void. Um, but, you know, that's the thing that you have to deal with. But, you know, I think while you're competitive enough and fit enough to keep playing, to keep playing, um, you know, how long it'll last, who knows. 
As I'm, as I'm listening to you there, I think, like, first and foremost, like, you have one of the most impressive metal halls of anyone I've ever met. But the thing that's jumping out to me is there is, and I'm going to ask you the question, because I don't think medals is sort of a motivating factor for you involved in sport, is have you got your medals somewhere or are they stashed away out of uh, interest? Um, I, the only reason I know this, I was, I was doing a, a, a video for Lidl there last year because it was kind of a retirement video, but still haven't retired. But, <laughs> um, but um, so they were coming to my dad's house. Um, all my stuff is stored in my dad's house. Um, to just do a bit of mm. filming. Um, so I panicked kind of, I think it was on a, maybe a Wednesday or Thursday, the night before I panicked because I hadn't a clue where any of my medals were. Really? So up to the attic to look for them, up to my sister's house and her attic to look for them and eventually could find most of them in my attic. But I had no idea where they were in some bag. I don't even think I found all of them. I found a couple of the club ones and a f- couple of the All-Ireland ones, um, but they're not they're not displayed in any place. Um, since that happened, I actually don't. They're probably still somewhere in my dad's house. I wouldn't, um, in my own house, wouldn't have any display of any trophies or anything. Maybe a couple of pictures of, you know, defining moments. But, you know, um, yeah, obviously you're playing. It's easy to say you're not playing for the medals. You're playing for the big occasion. You're playing for the big day. Um, and you're playing for that couple of minutes after you win a big, massive match, whether mm. it's a club match or a county match or whatever it is, if a county final or if it's an All-Ireland final, you're playing for that couple of moments afterwards. That's why you're training so hard, it's just for that buzz. And maybe, you know, for the next year or two after you win, a, whether it's a con- county title, a Connacht title, it's for that. That's all you're playing for. You're not you're not playing for anything else, really. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago that, you know, sport is a bit, is a bit of a drug at times. Was there ever any... Is there ever been any times where that actually caused you difficulty or, you know, maybe it was an unhealthy relationship or, or balance with the sport? No, I don't think so. I think it's important that when you have time, you know, time off. So, like, you know, if you're off for a week from training or whatever, or if you're off for, you know, the Christmas period, so I, I, I've known no different to a club because we've been very successful and we've won a lot of Connacht titles and we get to all Ireland series and the way the ladies' game is ran, that's ran in the one calendar year. So it's been mostly for the last kind of I'd say 18 years with the club we've mostly finished in the middle of November mm-hmm. um, sometimes December the earliest we've finished has been the end of October so there's been very little time that we've had off between you're constantly with, on the go yeah, between club and county you're lucky if you have max of maybe six weeks can be less so there's very little time but it's important in that downtime when you when you are off that you can kind of switch off um, but again, it can be very difficult to switch off as the majority of friends are involved with mm-hmm. it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it's an unhealthy relationship. I suppose you're not really going to know till you retire and, and, and you'll see how much, of it, um, how much of a gap that you have or a void that you'll have to fill. Um, but I don't see myself just going from um, playing football to do nothing. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, if most most uh, sports people like to exercise in some way sure. to keep themselves um, healthy and fit anyways or you know, you'll get involved in coaching or you'll be in some way involved to keep playing with the club. So you'll have that. Um, so I just think it's to know, um, you know, what avenues to go down once you're you're finished. And I suppose it's it's things like that you have, things like, you know, the WGPA and stuff like that if, if you did need support. Um, but I wouldn't be too worried about it. I just think that um, it's, you know, sport is a great thing and I'd always encourage, I have loads of nieces and nephews now, you'd encourage among them to be playing it. It doesn't have to be at a huge competitive level, but in some way it's brilliant for creating friendships and, you know, creating memories that you have. We're still talking about things that maybe happened 15 years ago. Mm. We're still talking about and you can remember them. 
um, so which is massive. If you can remember celebrations from after all Ireland's or celebrations after certain matches or you know crack that you had maybe on a training weekend, um, so they're the memories that you'll have, and the things that you'll probably look back on rather than looking back on the trophies and the medals. What do you do to switch off? <laughs> Do you do anything? Yeah. <laughs> where, um, do you, where do you get that release from? Because you obviously do need it. Yeah, I suppose I'm, I, I'm quite busy. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm working two jobs, so I'm on the road. I'm not a very good person for sitting down watching television or movies. Um, you'll be lucky if I get 40 minutes in the evening to switch, switch off and, and watch it. Um, obviously, socialising, going away would be two ways of switching off and having the crack. And with my friends, obviously, um, spending time with my nieces and nephews would be probably the biggest way to switch mm. off at the moment. Um, you know, I have a lot of them that live around me looking after them or whatever. Um, they'd be the biggest ways to switch off. Um, but as I said, life is so busy. And, like, it's not that you're always thinking of sports. You're thinking about work and you're here and you have this and you're on, you have that on. Or you have people asking you to do different things. Um, you don't really need to switch off. But when you do switch off, it might be in the evening just sitting down watching telly for a while or, you know, taking my nieces our nephews or wherever take them away that'd be the biggest way to switch off um, and obviously having you know holidays or nights out like that when you get a chance to have them mm. it'd be the main things um, you know I love watching sport anyway so um, if I was to watch anything on telly it's a soccer match or it's rugby or any sport on telly that's that's what it'd be on there wouldn't be anything really else on it'd be some sport so I love I love going to sport and events I love all types of sports so you know it's a kind of ingrained I can see myself attending a lot more sport and events yeah. when you have time when you retire sure. as well um, and, and you mentioned there the, the two jobs what's What's that work life like for you at the moment? So what what are those two jobs? Yeah. And so the, my main job, um, my my nine to five Monday to Friday job is um, in health promotions. I work with uh, an organisation called Mayo Travel Support Group. So um, it's a peer led organisation. So we employ traveller women. Um, so it's all around health promotion within the traveller community in Mayo. Um, so the eleven women are known as community health workers. So I design programs for them and train them up on certain topics. Um, cardiovascular health, mental health, cancer, whatever the topic is, it's different mm-hmm. topics um, that they train up on, they do training on them. Um, we design travel-friendly uh, leaflets or posters, whatever it is, and make sure they're literally friendly for them. Um, and from that, then the, the community health workers um, go out and deliver the information to all traveller families in Mayo, which at the moment it, it changes is around 350 traveller families. And as other parts of the work, then there's a lot of interagency work. So we work with different in- different agencies like Mayo Sports Partnership, the councils, the Mayo General Hospital, different organisations. So some of our work with the Sports Partnership is all around um, sport, which is good. I like the kind of the mix of that and kind of designing programmes and getting travellers um, involved in different physical activities, but not just travellers, mm. we'd say more disadvantaged groups, getting them involved in physical activities and trying to get them um included in different um, sporting organisations, whether it's the GA or soccer. Um, so that'll be the main work with Mayo Travel Sport Group. The other work I'm doing th- at the moment is with Sky, which we've mentioned with Sky Sports on the Living for Sports programme. So basically I go around to schools um, throughout Ireland and talk to normally second secondary schools, some primary schools, it's 11 to 18 year old programme talk to them about my journey like I'm telling you now as mm. a sports person where I came from how did it happen where I am now and go through the different six keys to success that they can use within sports within life within whatever it is so there are things we talk about like mental toughness hunger to achieve planning different things like that um, people skills all of that so it's just to um, give the young people empower them give them the information that they might it might help them on their journey I talk about obviously 
um, my sport and how I have to plan for it week in, week out and what my plan entails, how often we train and, you know, how I, I plan my life around that. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 you know, they're both really different work mm-hmm. and really enjoying the both. It's hectic because... I try to do Sky maybe two days a week and my other job and three days a week fitted in. So, you know, I'm on the road a good bit with it as well. And when you're training maybe four or five, six nights a week, you have to try and fit everything in. But yeah, it's, I'm managing it and enjoying on both sides of my work. It's, it's very varied. Um, some is sport, some is not sport. So it's good to have that mix of sure. both. It strikes me there as, I suppose, while both jobs are, are, are different, both of them are, are, are designed around empowering other people and, and trying to, suppose, help other people. Yeah. Is that something that gives you pride in terms of using your, your playing experience and that role model status you have to be able to give back and to be able to help other people? Is that something that's important to you? Yeah, definitely. I suppose it, it, it's hugely important. Um, like, while sometimes you don't maybe look at yourself as a role model, you know, you're just a normal, you know, a normal person walking down the street. Um, OK, a couple more people are recognise you. Um, but, yeah, I suppose you have to look back and say, well, do you know what? there is young kids or people looking up to your teenagers or whatever. So you have to act in, in the way that, you know, is best for them. Um, so, yeah, I know I love going around and empowering them and telling them my story um, because, uh, as I said, I'm very conscious their story could be very similar to mine or mightn't be at the time. It could be in another two years' mm-hmm. time. Um, so, yeah, no, I really enjoy that side of work. Um, obviously, with the Traveller Women, you know, we, you know, we've all different opinions around travellers and and. and and their their culture and their community. Um, so I love empowering them and making them, you know, making them make different or better health decisions. Um, you know, I learn so much from them. Every day they come in, I'm learning from them, which I love. Um, and obviously they're learning from me and what I'd be teaching them. But like it's a two-way system. I'm mm-hmm. learning all the time. But it's like work with the teenagers. I learn things from them all the time. You know, I'm not the expert, you know. I'm not the expert on traveller health, travellers are. I'm not mm-hmm. the expert on teenagers, teenagers are. So it's to be able to listen and from that to be able to learn and, you know, make your programmes for what they want. There's no point me going in and say to the travel women, you have to do this when they know it's not the best <laughs> sure. thing to do. So, it's, you know, and it's a skill sometimes I think I always say to, to the teenagers or kids in school, it's one skill that maybe at times are not people are very very good at listening we're all eager to tell our story and maybe not not listen to other people's and it's the child that maybe that's not listened to um that maybe has the best answer or knows how to solve whatever you know problem that we're doing or whatever so it's important that everyone has a voice and i suppose that's the biggest thing when i go out that i made sure the quietest child in in school or the loudest child in school they're both heard equally which can be difficult um but yeah it, it is about empowering people um and making better choices whether it's with, within health or within in, within your own life um yeah so there's a good mix as i said it's a good mix between sport and and and, and getting away from sport as well <laughs> i mentioned the the role model status that you would be held up to i don't know about how comfortable you are with it or not but i, I picked out a quote from like your manager frank brown said at a press conference at the start of the season that he said she's up there with the likes of katie taylor and sonia sullivan as one of the great athletes of our time how does that sit with you when, when someone says or gives you that level of praise? How does that sit with you? It's all right when it's Frank talking because it's normally, <laughs> it's normally a load of rubbish. Um, no, seriously though. Yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't take that very well. Um, I'd be, in general in general terms, and I suppose my close friends that would know me best, um, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be the most outgoing. I'd be mm. pretty shy within a normal social circle. Um, we'd say for run a day trip or a night out I'd be, I'd be one of the shyer ones I wouldn't be one of the loud ones um, so obviously you get that a lot of attention um, I, I like I don't mind getting the attention but I just 
I probably wouldn't be very good. I deflect praise away from me all the time. Um, you know, if people said, oh, you're brilliant or whatever, I'd be like, oh, no, I'd, you know, I wouldn't be good at taking on the praise. I'd kind of deflect it um, because at the end of the day, I'm very conscious I'm only a member of uh, one member of a team of 15 or a team of 30. Um, uh, and forwards will always grab the headlines. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's girls that put in as much uh, uh, effort as me, if not more, and play as well as I do. I maybe don't grab all the attention. Um, and I suppose my longevity of my career has probably made that, um, you know, people that m- maybe if people hold me in a bit more higher regard because I'm playing for so long. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think I'd be just, I don't mind talking to people about football in any way and meet them on the street. Um, but, you know, I'm again, I'm a normal person, sure. you know, that walks down the street every day. I'm like everyone else. Um, so, yeah, probably wouldn't take it, <laughs> take it in the best. I'll always deflect it away from me. But that's because I'm conscious that I am only one member. I'm not an individual sport. I, I'm, I'm part of a team sport. And the, the reason, the reason I suppose that I asked that question is a lot of the series, a lot of the conversations I've had have been around basically showing people that, you know, players are, are people as well. And it's not just, it's not just an athlete you point the finger at and just presume it's that. And because, the thing that sort of jumped out at me is that because of the longevity of your career and, and the success of it and and the high level of performance over over a long period of time, I think you're sort of held up as, you know, like Miss GA and people say like, oh, like and I think people have the automatic presumption that you're a very outgoing person, that you're bubbly or... Has there ever been times where that's... And you, you, you said yourself there that there's, there's times when you've, you're sort of you're a shyer one in a social circle. Has it ever challenged you in terms of that personality side or yeah, or sp- off the pitch? Yeah, I suppose it has to challenge you a bit. It has to make you become more outgoing. Um, you know, even now I'm getting <laughs> slightly uncomfortable talking about like I'm so I get, getting embarrassed because at the end of the day I am only a normal person. I go home and that's it, mm-hmm. you know. I'm only... I'm, I'm core at home. I'm not core as a footballer. And I suppose at times... Um, even throughout work, even here in my in, in work in, in Mayo Travel Sport Group, people see me as core the footballer, not core at work. Um, and I know that can that can, well, it can be annoying sometimes. It's just too distinguish. Yeah, it's like that. Um, that you everyone everyone can come and talk to you, and you're you're you're, you're like that. You're their property. They want to talk to you, and I don't mind talking to them in any, any way. But people do forget that you're just an individual person. Um, you know, and you might be out for. Uh, to the cinema with your friends or you might be on a quiet night out and um, you know as I said I don't mind people in any way talking to you and all that but sometimes do forget about it but it's not that bad for me you know I look at even we'd say in the media this week about the men's intercounty footballers like the life of we'd say Aidan O'Shea Mm -hmm. how much criticism he's come in for a week people do forget he's to go home to a family do you know he's a person he's doing he's doing his job you know, he's an amateur sports person. He has to go to work Monday nine to five. And, you know, it's very difficult. It probably doesn't bother Aidan. It's probably water for ducks back. You know, he's a mother, he's a father, he's brothers, he's a sister. You know, he's aunties and uncles that may be reading this stuff and can be, you know, I find that that, that, that part of the GEA can be, you know, you forget that, you know, he's people reading people. that. And I know he's a public figure and everyone wants a piece of him, but he, he's his own life at the end of the day too. So that, that, kind of at times annoys me when you're looking at that you know that doesn't really happen to me okay it happens in an odd time the biggest thing that it probably the biggest time it gets to me would be in the middle of a match um, club or county match whatever and my dad's in the stand or my sister's in the stand or my niece and nephews and I have a few nieces and nephews that will kind of be 
you know, able to understand the, the oldest one is only six, but she's able to understand what people are saying. Yes. And if, if it's very negative about you all the time or mm. it's bad language or every time you miss a score, you're booed or there's a cheer or whatever, she's kind of starting to understand what's that. And question and she, it. And question it. And my father's a very, very quiet man, would never say much of the match, just comes to watch it. But if you someone for the whole 60 minutes standing beside my dad that doesn't know it's my dad or Absolutely. beside my sister... And I suppose a lot of bad stuff has been said about you, which is always the case. You know, just every mm. match that you go get booed. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers me to think that, OK, they're listening to that in the stand and can, and can get quite heated. Now, my dad wouldn't. My brother, if he was here, he lives in Australia and he's there in the stand. There's a ch- the high chance that he might get really annoyed and, mm. and it, could, it could go into a fight. But it's that type of stuff. Um I think people don't understand that you, you know, you're a person. If that was, you know, the person in the stand doing that, if that was their daughter, you know, or their son and they're being, you know, being basically vilified, like Aidan O'Shea is, or like if I am on, on match day, um, you know, if how would they feel if that was their daughter or son? So it's that part of the GA I don't like. Um, so that's why a lot of the time, you know, I like to go to a football match. I like to go and watch the Mayo Min versus Sligo on Sunday. Mm in McHale Park but I'll try and stand away from everyone because yeah. I don't like to hear that stuff because at the end of the day myself Aidan or whoever it is are going out just to play football because we love the game we're trying to go out to do our best all the time every day is not going to be our best day um, you know you'll have bad days and you know with people shouting abuse at you or um, booing you or whatever it is you know there's many things that will happen um, it, you know it's it's fine it probably eggs me on wants me to perform better but you're actually thinking about okay there's people in the crowd that's listening to this and, you know, is it right for them to be listening to it? So that's that side of it, yeah, probably, you know, that, you know, I don't like. Um, but, you know, that's life. You you're you know, you've put yourself where you are um, and that's it. Just taking on the media angle, because I was going to finish up the conversation around particularly the female participation in sport. On the media angle, do you, do you feel that the industry has needs to step up a little bit in terms of promoting women's games across the board. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, there's, you know, there's been a huge amount written about promotion of ladies' football and, you know, how is it, you know, to have the two sides, they're getting treated as well as the men and all that. Yeah, you know, the promotion side of it has to step up. But, like, the work has to be done by us ourselves, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Um, what do you mean by that? I suppose, and they're doing it, ladies, ladies Gaelic, with getting the likes of Little on board and, and mm-hmm. bigger sponsorships and getting, you know, people that are role models you know yeah. when I was growing up I didn't have any female GA role model I didn't have anyone that I would, I'd say you know it was Morris Fitzgerald mm. and that was it um, I didn't really know of many other ladies footballers growing up um, but nowadays we we would little there there's so many more role models you know it's on television they're seeing more the attendance at all Ireland finals are growing you know it's maybe at times that you know we're always comparing men's and mm-hmm. women's men's and women's why are we comparing as you said we're, mm-hmm. we're our own separate identity um, and, and maybe just to drive that on. I, I do think it's very important that for people to watch more ladies' football, they're going to need to see it. So double headers, I do think, is the way forward. That even, You obviously experienced that this year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I've experienced it other times as well. Even if you get to go in to play a Connick final in McHale Park mm-hmm. before the men, and even if only 500 extra people come in to watch yeah. it, and 200 of them enjoy it or whatever that'll build and build mm. so like I, I just think at times that's the biggest downfall that we should be having way more double headers we could be playing a league match here on a Sunday down in Swinford and the men are playing in Casper we could be playing the same mm. counties it's just 
with the organisations being separate, ladies football being an organisation on their own, the GEA being an organisation on their own, I feel until the two of them come under one umbrella and then problems are going to be solved. Who knows? Um, they might be. If the ladies football go in under the GEA and Camogie go in under the GEA, will that make things better? It could, and it might make it worse. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very difficult. It's a it's a balancing act. Which one is going to be the better? Um, but I do think you know you look at successful breed participation. You look at the Cork ladies being the biggest example. Their football, G women's football clubs are growing and growing and growing there because of their success. I know when we were doing, and it's because well, young people have role models as exactly. well that they have when, access to. When we were doing well, it was the same. Yeah. Our clubs were growing and growing. That's what, and you need more role models, but they need to be visible. Okay, do you know they need to be seen on televisions? They need to be seen seen on advertisement billboards, yeah. whatever it is. You know. They need to be seen. They need to be seen like Aidan O'Shea or Colm Cooper or Lee Keegan, whoever it is. If they're seen all the time and they're seen week in, week out in television that they know, um, that they know who they are. Um, Like in Cork, all the Cork ladies are known. Uh, We need to have more role models within the ladies game and by by that to be known, it's that it's in the media more, it's on television more, it's in the newspapers more. Um, I suppose they're doing their bit with television and Tina G um, or TG4 um, and you know, I suppose they're doing their bit um, with billboard campaign and all that. I suppose we're lacking a bit, obviously, in the print media. Mm-hmm. It's not as much um, locally here. I think we're excellent. I think the local papers in Mayo have always been very, very good to to women's sports, especially to the ladies GA. I couldn't argue with any of them that they do a lot of good work. And the same with Midwest, and and they do a lot of you know they have all our games live, club games have a lot of them live as well. So they're doing their bit. I think. Sometimes the national media um, don't take up as much on ladies' football. They'll cover it maybe on All-Ireland final mm-hmm. day, on All-Ireland semi-final day. Um, how do you change that? I don't really know. Um, I think, again, you know, the more access there is, the more football they're seeing and the better quality football they're seeing, that maybe from that they'll do it. Um, and I think that the more female pundits that are there in the GEA, you go watch the Sunday game on a Sunday, mm-hmm. it's all male. And I think women don't know anything about football or Sky it's all it's all male you know who's mm-hmm. to say that you know whoever it is don't know as much as uh, Pat Spillane or whoever's whoever's on the chair do you know Colin O'Rourke you know just because they're a man doesn't mean that they know as much as know as, as they know more than you than ladies football mm-hmm. you know I I know I feel that I'd know as much as you know most about football and from watching sports but um, it's kind of frowned upon um, so until that changes um things probably won't get better. There's a lot of things that has to change, um, but it is changing slowly um, and more promotional the work that's done and the more female role models that are out there, um, the better. Um, but it will take time. So the last the last thing I'm going to throw at you is I, I dug I dug into the sports file archive here. Um, so the picture on the left is you playing in 2000 yeah. and the other, the other one is obviously is more recently. I think that was, that was the game in Crow Park yeah, I think this year. Yeah. So I've got two questions around that because obviously there are a significant period of time apart and it's, it's I think it's a nice capture of your own journey as well I suppose the first question is what's the biggest change in, in ladies football that you felt over that period of time and the second question that I'll ask is what's the next big challenge for female sport What what's the one thing you'd like to see driven home or driven on 
Okay, so this first question, what's the biggest change in ladies football? So that's 2000 and mm. that's uh, 2017. So that's 17 years. Big change in the gloves for a start. Yeah, big change in the hairstyle and the gloves are the biggest thing. The are gone, the other ones into the Murphys. Um, as you can see, I'm still wearing black boots on both occasions. Ne- never um, never went to the coloured boots. Um, I, I think you have to be someone to wear them. Um, so the biggest change, I suppose, in ladies football, it's grown and grown. It's got faster and faster. Mm-hmm. The standard of the, of the game has gone up. Um, it's become a lot more physical, um, even though, again, it's not contact sport, but it's, it's a quite physical sport. I suppose over that um, period of 17 years, um, while we trained very, very, very hard back in in the period that we were doing well in that five or six year period, never like I've trained before, but I think over that period it's gave us the base that, we're, that we probably don't ever need to train as hard as we did back then. Um, but I suppose it's the professionalism in the last kind of number of years, and I talked about it earlier on, um, the levels that you're expected to go, the, the detail um, from strength conditioning to diet. Like, well, we had that in very small amounts to nutrition, mm-hmm. um, to video analysis, um, just the, the amount of time that it takes up. Sure. God be with the day that you could turn up for a club match or a county match, probably not a county match, but a club match, about 15 minutes beforehand, tug out. Just lace uh, the boots. Lace the boots, maybe do a lap and, and train. Nowadays, it's it's so time consuming. Um, do you uh, think that attracts people to the game or puts people uh, off out of interest? It's probably, it can be a bit of both. I mm. can see, see why it probably t- puts people off. Um, do you know, people like the professional element of it too. That's what we're, yeah, we're definitely. asking for. So, um, yeah, it, it, I feel the difference even in the last kind of five or six seven years is that the time that it takes up so like you have your strength conditioning you're doing your you know you arrive at training a good hour beforehand and you're doing all this you know training's meant to start today but you start maybe at 10 past 7 doing all this plyometric stuff and all of this you know foam rolling and all of that type of stuff maybe that you didn't do um, and then obviously it's video analysis is a huge thing we wouldn't have done any video analysis back then mm. um, where we're doing it now all the time you have your Dropbox and you're watching your match you play a match on a Sunday you're watching it on a Monday morning um, and then you're watching your clips on a Monday afternoon and you're watching your opposition on a Monday night You love this part of the game though do you? <laughs> I do yeah Yeah. Um, I'd be very critical of my own performance so I'm always picking out you know bits to try and make you a little bit better uh, yeah so you'd spend an awful lot of time watching clips of videos and stuff Um um, and watching analysis of other teams and you know trying to find the weaknesses in your opposition or maybe your your individual marker so stuff like that that's changed um just you know everything from you know diet nutrition all that has changed so that's probably the biggest change uh, the game has got so much faster it's got so much physical more physical you know the levels that you need to be at now is, is massive um so you know as i always say i'm fitter now than i was back then yeah. you think you're fit back then but you're a lot fitter you're a lot stronger all that um, so the second part of your question That's just, so just to lead, lead, yeah. to lead you into that if the yeah. game has got faster yeah. the game has got better yeah. uh, and the game has got more physical what is what's what's the big challenge then for, for the game going forward well I suppose obviously the biggest challenge for the game going forward they still say they still say it's the fastest um, growing sport within mm. Europe um, so the challenge obviously is all around what we talked is around the promotion of the game um, and making the game bigger making the game bigger obviously first of all within within each county and then with nationally getting your attendances up at matches getting attendances at all Ireland finals I spoke about having obviously a men's and, and women's final together yeah if there's a day that we can have 60 or 70,000 in a women's final on our own that'll be brilliant so the biggest challenge is going forward is definitely the promotion around it um, 
the also the other challenge I find around, and I've seen it in my own club, um, and I'm involved in an initiative with Ladies Gaelic called Gaelic for Teens, is girls dropping out of mm. sport. And it's not just ladies football. Yeah, probably ladies football obviously is the biggest sport within within for girls within sure. Ireland. Is the dropout rates between that age of kind of, I'd say between 14, 13, 14 to about 16, 17. Mm. There's a huge dropout. That's huge a, dropout. That's obviously a big transition for, yeah. for a young person. For a young person, um, yeah. Particularly female. A female, yeah. So what can be done in, for that period then if that's something Yeah, I suppose it's tackle. a thing, yeah. Well, I, I, ladies football are very well, very aware of it and obviously have this gated for teens and, and girls. Maybe they've dropped out already back into programmes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's... It needs to be that's only done on, it's only be done on a pilot base with a couple of clubs so far I think about eight clubs um, but that needs to be widened it needs to be someone within that's each club that's something you want to grow yeah something on each club that nearly needs to be looking after and I've seen in my own club I've talked to I'd meet girls now that maybe I've coached in my own club or i played with that dropped out of that age mm. group and you'll see so many of them that want to come back maybe 25, 26 because I said you know what we've missed out in a the period there like you know the sea to see what football has done for us as in like has bonded us it's like a community they missed you know they've missed so much and they come back in and got going why did I come back a lot earlier you know it's again it's that you know camaraderie banter crack whatever you want to call it they've missed that and you see so many females now that maybe stopped playing sport at a young age and come back into something and they're like they love it they crave that competitiveness they crave um obviously that physical activity should be involved whatever it is um, to be involved in a group and to be fit and healthy so it's the whole girls at that age um, something big needs to be done I suppose with, with males I'm not sure if the dropout rate probably isn't as high but I think you need certain initiatives within clubs sure. to work on keeping keeping young girls in sport because you said as it is it's a big transition for them uh, physically with their body at that age um, and obviously a lot of things happen to you at that age the social mm-hmm. side of life comes different in different pressures yeah different pressures there's a huge amount of things and I just think there's nothing better for anyone's physical health than playing any type of sport but there's nothing nothing better than for anyone's mental health mm-hmm. than being involved in sport um, you know yourself I know myself if I don't get out and go for a run or get out and play football for a few days I can feel, feel my it. mental health isn't isn't the way it needs to be. After I go for a half an hour run, I'm in a lot better place. And I think, obviously, the way Ireland is now, and obviously, um, mental health and suicide rates that you know, you know, that's increasing all the time. And I think sport is the one way that can help a lot of these problems that maybe you know teenagers and young people are having. It's 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 a release, as I said earlier on, but it's also a place that you feel safe and that you can talk to people and you feel very comfortable within. And you've really, really majority of the time have really, really good coaches and um, people there that are, are there wanting to help you all the time. So it's a place for everyone. Um, and I I do have seen kids that aren't or teenagers that aren't involved in sport that struggle. You know, the majority, while you have, you'll have individuals within sport that, that will struggle with their mental health, the majority of them aren't involved in sport and don't have that closeness, they don't have that team bond, they don't have that friendship. And then they don't obviously have the physical, um, they're not playing sport to, to improve their physical and mental health. So I think that's a challenge within the whole of the GEA, but also within within Ireland and, you know, something maybe that needs to be looked at at a bigger a bigger stage like at government level but I do think it's the way forward it has been for me that if I didn't have sports you know you could have gone down many bad alleyways sure. and you know your your life mightn't be as good from a physical and mental point of view you'll be glad to know I'm going to I'm going to wrap up now and let you off the hook but before I do I just 
want to straight up thank you for your honesty and your insight and, and for sharing a lot of the lessons you've had on your own journey uh, I know you don't like getting praise and you've said that but for me I think you're an incredible ambassador not just for, for females but for, for our games in general and I just want to thank you again it's been an absolute pleasure to go through your own journey and even just looking at those two pictures there picking out the life experiences from it so thank you no um, best of luck everything yourself on the pitch mm-hmm. for the season ahead I hope you get that number five that you crave and that you're, that you're after and as well as that best luck with everything on the field and, and everything that comes your way moving forward it's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation it's episode nine of the Real Talks podcast and I'm absolutely delighted that it was yourself so thank you thanks a million really enjoyed it make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes by heading over to realtalks.ie to subscribe to the show or just search for Real Talks on whatever platform you are listening on today there you can also find previous episodes with the likes of Tipperary's Brendan Maher, Dublin's Kevin McMenamin, Armagh's Jamie Clark, and Offaly's Niall McNamee. If you want to get in touch, you can get me on Twitter at AOMTheCat or through RealTalksIRL. And once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Kelly Bradshaw Dalton, for supporting this podcast. Check out their website at kbd.ie for all your property needs. My name is Alan O'Mara and you've been listening to an episode of the Real Talks podcast.